We begin with the letter A. A is for... M is for murder. E is for... Danger! And, uh... Dodge. With... Monster. Help! Love me and be... Please! Help! Yeah. Welcome, everyone, to another spooky episode of the Is For podcast. I will be your host this evening, the lovable, cuddly monster. And with me is the always handsome, always lively, slightly stuffy danger. I don't know if you noticed, but I'm not cuddly. I'm I'm not cuddly. Not Not like the monster. I'm not cuddly. And no. I'm not sure how Sarge is doing because this is a Sarge's episode, but he may not be cuddly either. No, uh, I have it on good authority that he is not a good cuddler. I wasn't talking yeah. about his his cuddle talent. <laughs> I was just, you know, his cuddle ability. Well, okay, I'll be 100% transparent here. I have never cuddled with Sarge, but he does not give me the impression that he is very good at it. That's all I'm going to say. He's not somebody I look at and go, that's a cuddler that I want in my no, life. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Anyway, so go on. <laughs> Let's get so off a of cuddling Sarge. So tonight, just imagine a full moon in the sky, a rolling cloud of fog over the moors, because tonight is W for werewolves. Mm. Now, now, Danger, do you have any kind of connection with werewolves whatsoever? Is there a werewolf movie you like? Is there some sort of thing that kind of jumps in your mind when you hear about werewolves, anything at all? I mean, I've seen werewolves over time pop up in movies I've watched, like, uh, what was it, Underworld? Um, mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. know, uh, I saw uh, Wolfman, you know, back when I was a kid. I haven't watched it in many a year. You know, werewolves have been a thing that has come up on a fairly regular basis, but I don't have a love of a certain werewolf movie. I sure. did want to go and watch the werewolf movie with, um, oh, what's his face? The the remake they did a few years back. I know Anthony Hopkins was in the movie, but. Oh, the Wolfman with uh, uh, Javier Bardem? I uh, maybe. I'm not sure. I never did yeah. go back and watch it's it. Okay. It wasn't at the top of my list of, of things to, to go and see. Do you remember the first werewolf like on screen or in a book that you ever paid attention to? No, I, I don't. Werewolves are one of those things that have just kind of always been there. You know, mm-hmm. I i don't think there's been any good werewolf media. You know, anybody that has marketed the werewolf the way that they, you know, marketed the vampire and the zombie and whatnot. And I think part of that's also just the general public's, you know, lack of interest in the werewolf character. But I'm not saying that it's not an interesting character and that it can't be done. And that's exactly why I wanted to do this, because when I think about classic monsters, when you think about Halloween time monsters, you think about ghosts, you think about vampires, you think about skeletons, you think about zombies. And after the top five or six down near the bottom, you start to think about, oh, yeah, werewolves. And I thought, wait a minute. I always kind of, you know, being the, the monster guy, when I think about the universal classic monsters, you got Frankenstein's monster, you got Dracula, and you got the Wolfman. Right. He's not a step below. He is on tier with all of these other right. guys. He's he's um, a, he's equal build, if you will. Yes. And I think that doing this research, the mythos behind the werewolf legend 
is actually pretty interesting. It's pretty cool. Um, to answer my own question real quick, just to throw this out there, I kind of remember my first, it's kind of a, a dual thing because they happened right around the same time. But the first two werewolves I really, really remember was Michael Jackson's Thriller. Yeah. When when Michael Jackson, before the zombie dance and all that, the little movie at the beginning, right. he transforms into a werewolf. And they actually used um, John Landis, who directed American Werewolf in London, directed the Thriller video. Yeah. And they used the same technology and special effects that they use in that on Michael Jackson, which is why it looks incredible, spectacular, even by today's standards. So I do think there is something to to something that happened during that time period with the whole werewolf thing is that you actually had a practical effects transformation as opposed to a CGI just take over and turn from man into animal. And, you know, you don't see that anymore by any means. Hell, you see less practical effects than ever right now. But, you know, I just think that that was a really cool thing from American Werewolf in London. And I know it happened in several other ones. I can't think of what they are off the top of my head. I can't tell you last time I sat down and watched a werewolf movie. Sure. And then right around the same time that I would have seen Thriller for the first time, around eight or nine years old, is probably around the first time I saw Monster Squad, which Monster Squad is a really fun movie if you've oh, never seen it. I have. I have. Monster Squad was a great movie. It was actually one that yeah. I forgot that I ever watched when I was a kid, you know, and years later, somebody was like, did you ever see Monster Squad? No. What are you talking about? That was a, I, that doesn't sound like a good thing. And then I sat and watched. It, I was like, "Oh my god, this was a great movie." In For my head, anybody, I always paired it with Little Monsters. You know the Howie Mandel movie. Yeah, which is it's fun in its own way. Yeah. Um, for anybody listening that's never seen Monster Squad, imagine the Goonies mixed with the Universal monsters: Dracula, the Wolfman, Frankenstein's monster. It is. It's a little crude. It's a little rough around the edges, but it it's a lot of fun, and the the monster effects are great in that as well. I think I'm gonna um, show that to the kids. I think I'm gonna introduce them to monsters. How Squad. old are they? Three sixes and eleven. So uh, eleven, I think, is ready. The three sixes yeah. might need a couple more yeah. years first. Okay, so the werewolf. So. The, this is pretty cool. Uh, when I started doing the research into this, I didn't really know a lot about the history of werewolves. I just kind of knew the creature existed, like you said. It's kind right. of always been there. So I was curious to see where the origin came from. So what? right off the bat, this is fascinating. There is no singular origin point for werewolves in history. Um, there's paintings and literature that date back hundreds, thousands of years that depict wolves and men together, sometimes in as allies, sometimes as enemies. And what's really fascinating is the oldest piece of literature that's ever been found. It's called the Epic of Gilgamesh. It's the dates um, somewhere between 2100 BC and 1200 BC actually features a human turning into a wolf. Okay. Now, is that so, like, is that a story that was written or... Was that a uh, or an actual account of historical account, if you will? So I, I didn't do a whole lot of research into it specifically, but from what I understand, it's kind of like Homer's Odyssey or the Iliad or something like that. It's gotcha. sort of like a classic adventure tale kind of thing. And um, yeah, twenty one hundred BC to twelve hundred BC is the oldest known 
piece of literature on earth. That's, and it featured a terrible transformation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and as, as time progresses, um, the werewolf story has popped up in Greek and Roman mythology as well. So there's there's three different types of werewolves that you can come across in the wild. Um, <laughs> I you know I don't remember the last time I came across one in the wild. So let's go ahead and put all three out there for me to. Well, how encounter. would you know? How would you know if they weren't in wolf form? Fair enough. I don't know. Last time I came in contact with a wolf, though. I mean, it's, wolves don't really hang out in my region of the, you know, United States. You got me there. Yeah, you got me there. You have. The victim, which is an innocent human who is turned into a wolf but maintains some of its humanity. You have the damned, which is a violent human who becomes a wolf as punishment. And then you have the warrior, which is a human who takes on a wolf form for battle. Usually in cinematic uh, context, more often than not, you have the victim. Uh, Lon Chaney Jr.'s The Wolf Man is a, is a great example of this. Uh, American Werewolf in London, which we'll get into that a little bit later, uh, is another kind of example of this. But um, that is the most, I don't want to say the most popular, but that is the, the most used version of the, of the werewolf. Well, I feel like it's probably the same thing for vampire movies where you have the victim. I think you're seeing more and more in vampire movies where it's, turn me, I want to be a, were- a vampire. You know, so... Mm-hmm. I'm sure that that exists in some form within the werewolf lexicon, but you know, I can't think of, you know, a movie or something that would come along where they wouldn't want to put out the victim, you know, somebody for you to identify with, you know, for you to feel sympathetic for. And that is a common trope in, in werewolf media is it, it is usually a struggle of someone who is legitimately a decent person has this animalistic side that they can't control. Um, Over the years, I think vampires specifically have always sort of been seen as kind of sexy. They, you know, they stay up all night. They, they live forever. It's very romanticized. Whereas the werewolf, you turn into this raging beast lunatic that can't control himself. It's not, it's not sexy. It's scary. It's a little more frightening. It's a very, Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. It is, for sure, for sure. Um, so in addition to the like um, legends of, of werewolves, there is actually some science based in this. Uh, lycanthropy is translated as wolf-man syndrome. Uh, it's derived from Greek uh, words lykos, which means wolf, and anthropos, which I'm probably saying that wrong, uh, which means man. It's an actual psychological disorder where patients mentally or physically act like wolves. I thought you were going to like segue that into a way to talk about how I'm a hairy man. And, you know, I have... I'm saying that you are a candidate for lycanthropy, but I wouldn't be surprised to find out if you were. Wolf, wolf. I'm going to start barking. I don't did woof 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 couldn't have couldn't have howled couldn't have growled you you woof woofed confidently woof woof okay we are changing this from w is for werewolves to w is for woof woof i'm fine with that let's do it okay good (laughs) 
Now, the first appearance of the actual word werewolf came in the 11th century in a document titled Ecclesiastical Ordinance of King Canut. Okay. King Canut? Can you pronounce that word for me? I'm sorry. What was it again? I, I, I just heard the Canut part. I like okay. it. That's the part that stuck with my brain. It, it is. Ecclesiastical Ordinance of King Canut. Ecclesiastical Ordinance of King Canut. And, and actually, what I wanted you to do was spell Canut. It's easier than you think. K-N-A-U-T? No. Oh. C-N-U-T. Okay. <laughs> so, so put it together. It's C-Nut. Okay. Cool. Yeah. So if he was a um, rapper, his name would be C-Nut. Yes. Yes. Right. I, I, that's actually kind of cool. Yeah. Not really. Um, yeah, I didn't. So, I was just going to go with you for the sake of going with you on this, but no, I'm going to. No, don't go with me. No, don't, don't follow me when the path is this bumpy. No, usually when, usually when you throw out something stupid, that's a bad idea. I'm going to go with it just to see how far you take it. The answer to that is almost always too far. Why do you think I do it? Okay. Fair enough. Um, In this document, the word was actually used symbolically to represent people who might threaten the congregation of the church. So it didn't necessarily mean legitimate men turning into wolves. It was more of like, uh, you know, to protect the church, which you find a lot of that in the, you know, this time period. So were werewolves seen as a threat to the church and the church body or, or just like religion in general? More like they were looking for a term to describe a person that looks okay on the outside, but is actually kind of a uh, a threatening individual on the inside. Hence, a werewolf. They look like a normal human being, but will transform into a bloodthirsty animal, you know, at some point. Now we call that person a dick. Yes, which, you know, I think is also an apt synonym for werewolf. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. No, not not really. But anyway. No. Um, now, so this is kind of interesting, and I didn't know this. In 1486, there was actually another pamphlet published called the Malleus Malficarum, and basically, what this was was during the witch trials of this time, they were also trying werewolves. Okay, so I I have questions about that because I know the witch trials were not as big as we have been led to believe. There actually really wasn't much of the witch trials as we know, you know, burning at the stakes and whatnot. I think Mm -hmm, there was only mm -hmm. like three people ever burned at the stake. Um, One of them was actually punishment for crimes, but... Well, and I don't know if that's the one you're thinking of, but we will get into one specific uh, case here in a minute. Okay. So, yeah. So keep that in mind. I I don't think that it was, but go ahead. Might be. Uh, But we'll we'll get to that in a minute. I want to save that for later. Um, So in the early 19th century, this is when the werewolf as we know it starts to take shape. Um, They became less a... Uh, urban legend, um, what's the word I'm looking for here? Less of a mythological like beast and more of like a fantasy uh, subject matter for, for media. So 
when the werewolf really started to take on popularity in the 1800s with something called the Penny Dreadfuls. Have you ever heard of these? Yes and no. Okay, so I remember the show Penny Dreadful, and I know it had to do with the, you know, fantastical beasts and whatnot, you know, the mm-hmm. the legends, the myths and whatnot. Um, yeah. Didn't really watch it, so not the greatest thing for me to reference in this. But um, sure, <laughs> and I knew that Penny Dreadful was based on a historical thing. Yeah. I don't remember all the details, and I do remember reading about it at one point. But again, I don't remember the details per se. Yeah, so the Penny Dreadfuls were these cheaply made little book comic strip kind of things that were just pulpy, gross fiction books. Um, the kind of thing that I probably would have grabbed for a dollar at the register at the grocery store. and Exactly. Yes, that's exactly what it is. Along um, with my farmer's almanac, you know, that told me when to plant my crops. Exactly. Now, you see this later on, and this can be its own episode at some point later on, but it, you see this come up again in the, like, 1950s with the Tales from the Crypt comic book series. Yeah. Very good example of a more modern version of this. I love the Tales but, of the Crypt comics. Oh, they were so much fun. They were so cool. When they started to, not to get on a big tangent here, but when they did the reissue of them in the, like, 80s or so, um, my dad actually bought a ton of them. And I used to read them all the time. I absolutely loved them. They're so cool. So it's often seen as the first English text with a werewolf as the main character was one of these Penny Dreadfuls, and it came out in 1847. It was called Wagner the Werewolf. Like Wagner the uh, composer for Hitler? (laughs) I don't think that's what it meant. Uh, This was, again, published in 1847. No, I know. Um, Just strange um, connection, but all right. What country was that in, by any Oh, why would you ask me such a pertinent and easily answered question that I don't have an answer for? Um, We'll just go with Germany. Okay, that sounds good. Uh, So in the late 19th century is when you see the first appearance of female werewolves. That's not something you see and hear about a lot, especially in today's pop culture. I can't think of a single female werewolf i mean uh the two things that pop in my head for some reason is underworld uh miss beckinsale uh doing her werewolf killing and then for whatever reason that weird teenage mutant ninja turtles show that popped up where there was the fifth turtle that was a girl but i don't really have a connection for that explanation what are you is that is that a real thing or did you oh, have a fever oh, dream no it is a very real thing it is a very real thing it ran for like two seasons i think with and, a fifth ninja turtle who's a who's a girl turtle. Absolutely. I don't remember her name. Um I watched a couple episodes of it uh not too long ago just to kind of uh expose myself to it again and I don't know why I would do that and I remember it from when I was a kid but it's not worth your time. Yeah. Okay, here's the thing. You would know better than I would so I have to take your word for it but I do not want to believe you because that sounds like a terrible thing. It is 100% a real thing. Okay. Okay. I'm sorry that ever existed. So this is actually... Hopefully the producers are as well, but go on. Okay, good. Okay. So this is kind of an interesting story. I wanted to share this. And um, 
you know, we've talked about werewolf movies a little bit on previous episodes and, you know, but I just want to get into kind of the film history of werewolves real quick, because this is kind of, this is kind of fascinating. The first werewolf film was a movie in 1913 called The Werewolf, followed the next year in 1914 by The White Wolf. Now, there's not a lot known about these films because both of them were destroyed in a massive fire at Universal Studios in 1924. Well, I don't remember ever hearing about this fire. Was there um, another movie or any other movies that were destroyed this? Or was this just this oh, one? Was, was this their way to get rid of, okay. of these things? Okay, so this was not their way to get rid of these films. However, it is probably a good thing that these are lost to time because both of these films, by today's standards, are extremely racist towards Native Americans. Okay, it's it's wonderful to see the things that were put out by some pretty big studios. and Oh, yeah. And then later seen as this, like um, the Song of the South from Disney. Sure. Right. With that being said, the earliest remaining werewolf film is a film called Wolf Blood from 1925. Not, I don't know a ton about that one, but uh, same thing. It's a silent film. Um, it, it doesn't deal with Native Americans. I think it has to deal with a guy who drinks some blood and he becomes, it like changes into a wolf. Um, it's not very well remembered. So I don't think it's really like a classic or anything like that. Now, um, I didn't think about this before, but I'm quite curious as to what the Native American relation to werewolves is. Like, do they turn people into werewolves? I don't... I uh, Without knowing too much about these films, and I'm sure there is some, the, you know, some documentation about these things, but um, from what I gather in Native American cultures, and please, like, Take it easy on me. I'm I'm talking out of my ass here. I don't know uh, really what I'm no, talking about. It's fine. Uh, from what I've gathered in a lot of Native American uh, cultures, there is a connection with animals, and yeah, you know, you, I know that. you see that in a lot of their their names and, and stuff like that. So I think they were playing on that a little bit in these films with like the Native Americans having a connection to wolves and them, you know, the white man being the hero coming in and, and battling these savages kind of dynamic. That's That would be what I imagined was going on in these films. Well, I mean, there's plenty of that same, well, not exact same, but, you know, look at the Pocahontas story. The white man was going exactly. to, you know, save these people, this, this uh, peaceful, you know, at ease race of, you know, Native Americans, not Indians yeah. as they were mislabeled. And yeah, so right. I don't know. Anyway, go on. Back to W is for werewolves, <laughs> not R is for racist culture. Right, right. No, uh, so I think most people that have even just like a passing knowledge of werewolves in cinema, I think really 1941's The Wolfman starring Lon Chaney Jr. is usually people's first, you know, connection there and honestly it was mine too for a long time however when i started to dive into the universal monster catalog 
there was actually another film called Werewolf of London that came out in 1935. And this was sort of the original version of the modern vampire or modern werewolf that was kind of perfected in 1941's The Wolfman. The transformation is not quite as slick as it is in The Wolfman. Um, the makeup effects are a little bit chunkier. It's not as it's not as clean. Well, what year um, did you say that was? 1935. Yeah, they're not going to have uh, a slick transition at that time. They're still learning how to do all that stuff. Right. And and in 1941's The Wolfman, what Jack Pierce and Lon Chaney Jr. did was basically it was kind of like a time lapse thing. They would show the the hands or the feet or whatever and then they would show it like bare and then they would show like with a little more hair on it and then a little more hair on it and again 2022 you look back on it it's like good lord this is silly but at the time mind-blowing what they were doing so i think like i said 1941's the wolfman is an absolute classic there's a lot of atmosphere and a lot of creepiness does the makeup hold up it probably not depends on yeah it depends on your you know feelings toward these kind of films um but 1981 might be the greatest year for werewolf movies in history explain not just one of the greatest werewolf movies of all time but two of the greatest werewolf movies of all time came out in the exact same year in 1981, you had an American werewolf in London and the howling. Okay. I have a, a, a really good friend of mine. The way I am about zombie films, he is about werewolf films. He absolutely loves werewolves and he loves, 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 loves werewolves. And from if, if I'm not remembering this correctly, I believe he said the howling is his favorite werewolf movie. And it is I think an American werewolf in London is a little more famous. Yeah. I think the the transformation scene in that is is iconic to horror fans. But the howling is nothing to scoff at. That has a ton of cool creature effects in that one as well. No, I do remember the howling. It's been years since I've seen it. And I do remember it having really really neat effects in it. And it, I felt like it was kind of a uh, crucial step for how we ended up doing practical effects in the mm-hmm. you know up through the nineties. American Werewolf in London to me is just a phenomenal movie overall. You know, I, I can't. it is so. All right, so I'm going to ask you, yeah how how long are we going to spend in the eighties talking about werewolf movies? Like, how many more eighties werewolf movies do we have? Okay, so uh, there obviously there was there was more. Yes, um, but I want to go ahead and just move past those. I wanted to no, focus on no, those two. No, 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 <laughs> no. We're not going to skip Teen Wolf. Okay, no, all right. no, I'm, not going to oh skip it. No. Okay. Full disclosure, never seen it. Full disclosure, uh, this is going to be a thirty-minute episode. <laughs> <laughs> No. We're getting ready to edit out all of my gushing over this nonsense. Oh, uh, no. Teen Wolf was, you know, uh, riding on the, the tales of Back to the Future, Michael J. Fox sure. fame. Sure. Um, but I, that's one. I know it's not a good movie. I, I know that it's not. But it's a great movie because I love it. It's just 
you know, the, I don't remember the transformation part being that wonderful. I haven't seen it in years though. I'm, uh-huh. I have to go back and watch it now. Don't remember the transformation parts being that great. I guess it, part of it was, you know, maybe it was the first time I saw a movie or, or anything where somebody had this terrible, awful thing happen to him, you know, where he would, you know, was turned into a world sure. and, you know, tried to hide it, but then ended up, you know, pitching it and turning it for good and turned into, you know, the ridiculousness of at one point he is uh, surfing on top of a van, you know, right, as werewolf right. doing backflips. Uh, he plays basketball for the school team as a werewolf. You know, it's just a fun movie and, and I love it. I do. Well, well, no. And, and same with like monster squad. It came out in 1987. Right. Um, you know, taking these like scary creatures and having some fun with them. Yeah. You know, and you see that a lot more today, I think. But but honestly, that's been around since the 40s and 50s. Like back when the Universal Monsters were big, you had the Abbott and Costello meet the Frankenstein meet, you know, whatever. Um, and so they've always mixed that like, you know, creepy stuff with the funny stuff. And, and well, you, I think Teen Wolf is, is probably a great example of that. I've just you don't, never seen it. <laughs> you don't see it in live action anymore. You see it in computer animation, TV shows or movies and stuff for kids you know, you don't sure. see it in live action like you used to by any means, you know, and, and now there's this great gamble and stake put on actually putting money and production time and value into making a movie that it's almost like people don't want to, or any studio doesn't want to waste its time and energy and money on making a live action fun, you know, monster movie. Well, and it's funny on a soon-to-be-released episode of Monsters Midnight Musings, uh, I actually talk about a really good example of this with the Hotel Transylvania series. Okay. Which features a pretty fun Wolfman. Actually, but, I forgot all about uh, Wolfman and that, but yeah, it was... Yeah, Steve Buscemi. He, he does a, a, plays a character named Walter, and it's a lot of fun. And, and yeah, I, the Hotel Transylvania movies are kind of a... Yeah, it's for my kids, but no, I'm I absolutely adore them. They're so oh, no. much fun. I uh, um, I took the kid to go see Hotel Transylvania on a big screen in the park. Oh, I think that was, was awesome! It was great. It was great. There were other kids dressed up as little monsters and whatnot. It was it was fun. Love it, love it. I'm so it it warms my heart to see little ones embracing the monsters. I really yeah. do. I love yeah. it. So. A couple of little fun little tidbits here. Uh, While we're here in the 80s, early 90s kind of time reference, a little trivia question for you. Shoot. What was the first video game to feature a werewolf? It's a pretty famous one. Castlevania? No, no. Okay. That's my my guess. I mean, I don't... don't That's a really good guess, though, because one of the the cool parts about the, especially the first Castlevania game, was... The, the the pull in of all those classic monsters, you know. Um, no, actually, the first one from my research was Altered Beast. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I feel like Castlevania was before Altered Beast, but it was. But there's not there's not really a, a specific werewolf character in the in the original Castlevania. Right. Fair enough. No, I, I played the hell out of some Altered Beast. I loved Altered Beast. It's so simple and it's kind of silly, but the the uh the graphics and the visual style of it 
is is pretty fun. It's I used to cool. get so mad when I'd miss one of the orbs you had to get oh. to, to turn into a monster. And then like whoever you're playing with turned into the monster because they caught all the orbs and you were just stuck as this like worthless, <laughs> dumb human. And yeah, you're just like a is, jack dude with a tiny head. Yeah. And then you have to finally get it. And then you end up changing back to human at the same time as the other person. Even exactly. though like your clock just started and you only got to be a werewolf <laughs> for five seconds. And yeah, I don't know if you can tell I'm a little bit bitter about some of those. No. And you have every right to be <laughs> true. Um, and there was actually, and I don't, I didn't think to look this up, but there was actually a game for Nintendo. I remember playing, I think it was just called werewolf or the werewolf or something like that, where you were like a dude beating up other people and you could periodically change into a, a werewolf. It exists. I swear to God, I played it. I'm not doubting you. I, I have no idea what you're talking about, but I'm not going to doubt you that it exists. There is a newer version of that. My, my buddy who I was talking about earlier, who was obsessed with werewolves played it. Similar concept, just upgraded for, you know, next gen consoles kind of thing. Yeah. So here's a couple of funny little werewolf legend variations in different cultures. Uh, I think for most people, the big ones, especially here in America, is you transform during a full moon. You can only be killed with a silver bullet. Those are kind of the big ones. But here's some fun ones from some other countries. In Serbian cultures, you can become a werewolf if you drink water from the footprint of a wolf. Huh. That's interesting. I uh, I wouldn't have thought that mm-hmm. that would be something. I of course, who thinks about the footprints of anything except for right. Bigfoot? Sure. Except for Bigfoot. And I wonder, like, if that works for other animals. Like, if you drink the water from the footprint of like a goose, per se, do you turn into a were goose? That's a good question. It makes me wonder now things that I didn't think I would wonder. Thank that you. is. Thank you. For, that is. Thank you for putting that in my head. Not, what the hell's a were goose? That's that's what I'm here for. Well, I mean, Ask the tough question. Well, I mean, Gus, ge, Gus, Gus's, Gus's <laughs> geese are already like inexplicably aggressive. So no, they're already evil without oh, transforming God, yeah. into yeah. anything else. And they get that neck going. It's oh. just the neck and the hiss. Ah, I mean, that's yeah. really just Canadian geese. I don't really have a whole lot of experience with. You don't know the genealogy with, with, of geese with the gooses. Uh, no, Gus's, but with Gus's, yeah, no. Nah. I, uh, I'm not familiar with the Gus Gus's. So the Danish believe that only men can become werewolves. Which, ah, that yeah. leaves the women eating the fine pastries that come from <laughs> that region. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> I like all pastry. Here's my favorite. Russians believe if a witch places her girdle under a house of the inhabitants' wedding day, all who are celebrating will turn into wolves. That sounds like a lot of planning. The witch has to really be in the mood to turn a bunch of people into wolves. And Russia is the only way to get rid of it, to drink lots of vodka? I would imagine, yes. Right. yes. Maybe there's a certain brand of vodka? I don't know. If no one has ever invented silver bullet vodka, they are missing, I mean, okay, you know what? Cut this out, uh, edit this out. I need to start writing up a business plan. Yeah. For yeah, this immediately. It might get mixed up. It might be like marketed or somebody might perceive it as a Bob Seeger vodka, you know, Silver Bullet Band. Silver Bullet Band? What? What was the what was the name of his group? 
Bob Seger's band? Bob Seger. I don't know. This is a Silver Bullet band. Ugh. I'm looking this up right now. Just I, double check. Please go right ahead. You are spending far more time on Bob Seger than he deserves. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> and the Silver Bullet band. Yes. Bob Seger and the Silver Bullet band. Yes. So Bob well, Seger, Bob Seger whiskey. And you got to okay. know when to hold them and know when to fold them. That's not Bob Seger. That's um. That's a country guy. That's uh. Oh God, what's his name? Bob Seger, werewolf hunter. Apparently, no wind hold him. No wind no hold him. Kenny Rogers. Kenny Rogers. Kenny Rogers. Okay. You thought that was Bob Seger? So I've got one more story I want to tell. All right. And I want to put a little disclaimer before I before I tell you this story. I'm a little curious um, on disclaimers for werewolves of werewolf episode but sure okay okay so usually we've we had don't a lot preface of, anything with any sort of warning or disclaimer so we've go, we've go had a lot of fun tonight we've we've joked about werewolves we joked about goofy guys turning into hairy monsters and we're, we're having a good time and uh i'm getting ready to tank all that with a very disturbing story okay well before you jump into that I do want to ask. So there's a show on on Netflix that I actually forgot about until just a minute ago that I watched before called Hemlock okay. Grove. And okay, that's a uh, Eli Roth had something to do with that. Did he? I not? have no idea if he had something okay, to do with it. Okay, if he has something to do with it, it probably had to do with the first two seasons because those were pretty good. The third season okay. was a dog turd. The show offered no resolution. I don't recommend watching it if you like uh, being left on a cliffhanger of mm. a giant CGI thing in the sky that makes no sense to what's happening. Um, See, and, and, and actually the, the way you describe that sounds more like Eli Roth probably has something to do with season three. I O shots fired. Please continue. I mean, Eli Roth is one of those people that when he does something good, it is great. When he does something bad, it is turd. It's really bad. Yeah. yeah. It's okay. bad. Now it had some really cool elements to it. Some really cool, mm-hmm. um, you know, just bits and pieces and story threads and whatnot. And there was a werewolf story thread from the very beginning that lasted through the whole thing. And the thing about it that was funny is it had a vampire and werewolf, you know, thing where they ended up having to work together. Not like Twilight, you know, werewolf <laughs> vampires, you know, let's just, let's not talk about that again. But no, no, let's not. So, you know, I had this whole thing and it was actually a pretty neat storyline, but. I realized something in it because the vampire was played by the posh rich guy mm-hmm. and the werewolf mm-hmm. was played by the grungy homeless yep. gypsy guy, you know, like his family moved around a lot and whatnot. And, you know, not to say he was homeless, but he lived in kind of a shack in the show and whatnot. And he dressed- and this goes back to what I said earlier about the vampire is seen as like the sexy villain and the werewolf is seen as the, the gross, nasty monster. Yeah. I, you know, and I do think there is something to that, uh, to that image where, you know, I think there's not only like, you know, can the person be glammed up? Can they be grimed up as well and still mm-hmm, be attractive? Mm-hmm. You know, like my, uh, my ex-wife who I watched that show with, she was like, that's a great example of that whole thing because he's still an attractive guy, you mm-hmm. know, being this like kind of dirty feller. And I can't think of any other werewolf thing that's come out after that. And that was, uh, it had three seasons. I think it ended about five, six years ago, you know, okay. going back to what we talked about in the beginning. I don't think werewolves are a 
popular thing and it's all about how it's been marketed. And I really think that the Twilight thing that I said a minute ago, we're not going to talk about anymore, has kind of tanked werewolves, like put a hurt on them for sure. And you have a couple other things like this Hemlock Grove that tried to do something great with them, but just couldn't. Well, and and so you had the Wolfman remake with um, with Anthony Hopkins, and uh, let let me let me double check here. I, I said Bardem earlier. Mr. Del Toro. Yes, Benicio del Toro, not Javier Bardem. Yeah, uh, maybe that's what threw me off. Yeah, yeah, um, and, and and it was okay. Um, they relied a little bit too much on the CG, and and I don't and I don't think that was a good move. You and I are fans of practical effects to an unreasonable measure. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And, and so I think that that was an attempt to try to take it seriously again and uh, a little hit or miss. I don't think it's a bad movie. It's been a while since I've revisited it, but uh, I remember seeing it in theaters and thinking it was okay and and not great. But I think uh, if you want to see a really interesting take on the on the werewolf, there's a film that came out in 2000 called Ginger Snaps. And basically what this is, is it uses the um, transformation from human to wolf as an allegory for a young girl getting her period and becoming a woman. Um, it basically is a, a, a it follows a, a a girl who's going through puberty. She's in high school and she's dealing with her sexuality and stuff like that mixed with her changing into a bloodthirsty wolf and attacking people. And it is fantastic. It's very gory. It's very bloody. It is definitely a horror movie. But it's also kind of a teen drama, and it's got a lot of humor in it too. It's it's a lot of fun. It, that, that's interesting that you bring that one up because, and I'm going to go find that one and watch it here soon. But there's a new movie that just came out on Disney Plus called Turning Red. I don't know if you've seen. Okay, it. okay. yes, I have, and that's that's interesting. You should bring that up. So my daughter um, Alex, who is only three. As soon as she saw the previews for Turning Red, she immediately wanted to see it because she saw a big fluffy red panda and was like, this looks like fun. Um, Sarah has watched it with her a couple of times. I have not seen it the whole way through, but I've seen bits and pieces. And yeah, there's a little bit of symbolism there. There's a little bit of an allegory there, but it's it doesn't really beat you over the head with it, um, in, in my opinion. Well, you know, and I'm going to take a a bit of a turn off of werewolves here for just a minute. But, you know, a a big issue I have with not that movie, but the response to that movie was actually brought on by when I watched it with the girl and the the triplets, you know, all girls. And I was informed that there was some kind of controversy surrounding it that had been coming up. And, you know, it's... One of the articles that I read afterwards actually talked about, you know, the controversy. It was this mom that was talking about, you know, it's a Disney movie and this is a movie about a girl, um, you know, getting her period and all. And it, it was like as soon as like, you know, she started throwing out little nuggets while we were watching it because she said, you know, I'm going to wait until after we're done to really jump, uh, jump into the whole thing. Yeah. And it was like, OK. The title turning red, turning into a red panda, you know, it's like, okay, I get, I get a lot of the symbolism, but then there's the whole outright thing about tampons and pads that the mom tries to do. Sure. But my issue with it is that 
you know, there's these moms that kind of went off the rails with, you know, this is terrible that mm-hmm. Disney were to do this. And, you know, I should have to explain this to my kids. And I'm like, okay, first up, are you explaining it to your kids because they're asking questions or are you explaining it to your kids because you feel like you need to explain it when to them, it's just a movie about like in your case, Alex saw a big red cuddly panda and right. wanted to watch it. But there's other things that actually should be, I think, focused on more is like the fact that this mom that does not know or understand boundaries by the end of the mm-hmm. movie mm-hmm. does mm-hmm. understand boundaries or, or gets sure. the boundaries that her daughter's put in place. Every teenager, you know, throws a fit, talks back to their parents mm-hmm. and rebels against them. But by the end of the movie, she saw that that wasn't working and that wasn't a good way to do things. You know, the dad had an awesome sit down with his daughter at the end of the movie, you know, towards the end of it. And that to me was great. And like, and it said some pretty awesome, like dad things. And then on top of it, it really showed what you and I talk about in T is for TRL, which is your other friends at school who weren't admitting listening to boy bands were actually listening to boy bands. You know, there's, there's a lot of beats within the story that I think really got missed because of this whole thing about Disney talking about periods. Well, it's a, coming of age movie about 13 year old girls. What do you think is going to happen? That that's what happens at that time. But going back to what originally pushed me here was that is actually one that I never would have put into the werewolf lexicon of, you know, a person that turns into a beast and Mm -hmm. has to Mm -hmm. come to terms with it in some level. In, in, in a, in a weird sort of way, you could almost make a case that turning red is kind of a werewolf, werewolf quote unquote movie. Yeah. Or a, um, or she turns into a red panda. So a were panda. Were panda. Sure. Yeah. And, and to piggyback off of what you said, I think the, the people that were getting, I, I, sorry, I do have a question. So yeah. if there was, and this would be a very boring movie because there would be no <laughs> drama in it all. But if the person were to turn into a house, would they be a warehouse? Okay, I'm just. Uh, <laughs> I would like to announce that this is my last episode on the Is Four podcast. I cannot work under these conditions. <laughs> That's fair. I can't blame you. I still don't know why you're still here. Oh, but you know, God. I appreciate that you keep putting up with me. Oh, I, I let me just say this for the record: my back hurts from carrying this podcast. I'm, I, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sure it does, and I appreciate your sacrifice. Last thing about turning red. Um, I think the people that got the most upset about it were the people that don't want to have to talk about these things. Absolutely. Um, Because I feel like as a parent, some of the things that are addressed in that film are the kind of things that parents need to tell their kids about. And it's uncomfortable and they don't want to do it, but it's necessary for the kid and it's healthier to hear it coming from their parents than their friends at school or even worse, not to get too in the weeds here, having it happen to their bodies and they not know what's going on. Absolutely. Out, you know? So I I actually crossed that bridge recently of having the talk. mm -hmm. And let me tell you, it's not comfortable for either person, like either, either party. Like, Oh no. I mean, there were three of us sitting in the room. He wasn't comfortable. I wasn't comfortable. She wasn't comfortable. There were lots of like 
you know, Snickers and, you know, can I, I call yeah. it this, you know, and it's just, it's just yeah. a kid, you know, trying to process and, you know, trying to relate to it in some way, but you're absolutely right. Those things are way more important to hear from a parent and actually be taught about the things and taught about them. And, and I'm not saying that a parent, you know, a lot of parents, they, they put something on Disney, they think it's safe for their kids, they put it on and they walk away and they just, you know, they pick up bits and pieces. But if you actually stop for a second, it's rated PG. Mm-hmm. It's not rated G. Right. It's not for just, it's not Finding Nemo, okay? This is, there's something a little more going on here. It involves teenage girls. You You sort of need, if you're not sure, do a little research first. And you what know, does PG stand for? Parental guidance. And what it's, should happen during that time period? A little parental guidance. Exactly. And and for anybody to act like that's not somewhat realistic, I mean, come on. The, the way those girls are acting towards that boy band, the journal that she keeps. I mean, this is stuff I remember from being in, you know, high school and stuff. I mean, I... I, I like I said, I have not seen it from start to finish, but I have seen the bulk of it just from coming in and out of the room while Alex watched it for the third, fourth time because she loves it. Mm. Um, you know, but I I think it's pretty harmless, and I think people oh, yeah. are it is. a little fired up for no reason. I really. think it's absolutely harmless to me. I'd rather have the kids ask me those questions, and so I get the, you know, they invite me talking about it instead of be like, hey, come on in here and sit down. Let's, let's both sure. be awkward. Uh, yeah. One more thing about Turning Red that okay. I thought was awesome they introduced. So that movie, at the end of the movie, they say the year is 2002. And something that they introduced in that movie that I really feel like got skipped over in kids' movies was one of the kids had a flip phone. Yeah. Which, I mean, the the girls were like, that was really one of the only questions they asked about it was, what's that? <laughs> so we had to explain that that's what a phone looked like. That's so funny. Like, why did the mom yell the word pads? Why is she turning into this red panda when she gets upset or nervous? What is that device that flipped open with all the buttons? <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. Time for my my story here. Okay. So, have you ever heard of something called the werewolf of Bedburg? No. So, there is a story from a guy who... Uh, his name is Peter Stump. Some people refer to him as Peter Stube. I, it, I, I've seen a couple different spellings. Uh, some people spell it S-T-U-M-P-P. Some spell it S-T-U-B-B-E. Either way. Stump Stube. Okay. He was a serial killer who committed some crimes between the years of 1564 and 1589. So he was on the loose for 25 years. Yeah. They referred to him, they they used the term he had an he was an insatiable bloodsucker. The rumor was he was so violent and despicable and terrifying that he could shift into a wolf-like monster by wearing a magical belt. Okay, so I should tell you what I picture in my head is like Okay. He uh he's He's really like, but he's he's donning his WWE belt he bought at Walmart, and that <laughs> turns him into werewolf. All right, go on. Sorry. Basically, basically, yeah. 
So his wrestling cummerbund. Perfect. And when he puts it on, he turns into a hairy, vicious beast. Yes. Um, he would eat lambs, goats, sheep, and humans. So he had a range of appetites for meats. All right. This this is this is why I gave the disclaimer. He confessed to killing and partially eating 14 children and two pregnant women, claiming that he ate the fetuses out of the women. Okay. One of those 14 children was his own son, and he claimed to have eaten his brain. Okay. Now, when we brought up the witch trials earlier, it was not uncommon for people who were on trial to confess to things that they may not have actually done in hopes to get lesser punishments. Yes. Um, Which that's actually been a common running thread forever. I was just getting ready to say, as a bit of a true crime guy, I like, you know, stories about serial killers and the history of those kinds of things. You find this come up all the time that a serial killer's testimony is often bullshit or at the very least not something you can really bank on. Right. So what exactly this guy did? Did he actually eat and murder and eat 14 people? Uh, who knows? I don't know. Um I feel like the first one that I would, you know, later in jail say that I didn't do was eat my own son in his brain. Yeah. Yeah. Here your second part of the disclaimer story. He was executed October 31st, 1589. Hmm. He was put on a torture wheel where his flesh was torn from his body in 10 different places using burning hot pinchers. His limbs were broken with the blunt side of an axe head. He was then beheaded and burnt at the stake. Okay. Um Good night, cool. everybody. Cool, yeah. <laughs> uh, on that note. I feel like the werewolf of Bedburg could kind of be like its own thing at some point. Yeah. But um, just, you know, that was one of the first uh, stories where the term werewolf was used to kind of describe something so heinous they couldn't actually put like a human. There was no human frame of reference for this despicable stuff. So they well, just I mean, called that's- it werewolf. That's up there. I mean, like that's, you know, we we have the John Wayne Gacy's and the Ted Bundy's, sure. things, but that's still like that's that that's up there. Um, I mean, none of them have ever said that they needed to put on a magical cummerbund to do these no. things. They just no. But John Wayne Gacy did have the clown makeup. He did. He did. Which, if I remember correctly, was actually for him to appear more friendly. Well, he was he was a he was a children's yeah. Clown. I, I thought that was part of like children's party specifically. Stuff. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But but uh, just just to tie all this up, um, I got most of my information doing this research from a really, really cool PBS series called Monstrum. You can look this up on YouTube. They have tons of episodes about werewolves, zombies, vampires, Bigfoot, all this cool stuff. And it's actually like hosted by uh, a PhD in like mythology and stuff. And she has on guests from all kinds of like 
editors in chief, uh, bloody disgusting. Um, a lot of those like kind of like horror publications and stuff talking yeah. about the the mythos and stuff of these these creatures. It's really really cool. I would highly recommend checking them out. If there's like a creature or topic that you find kind of interesting, I can almost guarantee there's a monstrum episode or series that kind of goes into it. And that's where I got a lot of this from. Very, very interesting. Very cool. All right, cool. Now, I I mean, I like to pop on stuff like that every once in a while. And if if not outright, watch it, just have it on the background. Uh, Yeah. And just Just pick up random facts. Like at work. Yeah, like at work, um, you know, during my lunch break, I'll I'll just chill in my office and, and throw on some YouTube and stuff. And if I'm not watching uh, Super Mario Maker, um, I'll, I'll watch something like that instead. <laughs> Does they have a podcast by any chance? I don't know. That's a great idea. All right. I'll find out and tell all of you out there in, in podcast <laughs> land. So, because I'm quite curious. I'd like to put those on and listen to them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, I, that's actually a pretty cool idea. So yeah, W is for werewolves. Yeah, I, I hope you might have learned something there, something you may not have known about the the werewolf. I think it's sort of a, I don't want to say disrespected, but I don't think it's quite, the werewolf isn't held in quite as high an esteem as a lot of these other creatures like vampires. And- no, but I do think that if the vamp- if the werewolf was handled with certain care, um, you know, and given certain attention instead of treated as a secondary, you know, exactly. I, I think it could be something that's great. I just think it has to be given that chance. The, in, in modern media, the werewolf is such a sympathetic dynamic character, a human that is wrestling with these inner demons and this transformation, this bloodthirstiness that they can't control. It, it leads to just epic storytelling, and it's been cheapened, I think, over the years with things like Twilight and, and other things, you know, especially in, like, the Underworld series, which, I again, I'm I'm not super familiar with the films. I've seen a couple of them, yeah, um, okay. but it seems like the the vampires are seen as the, the sexy, sleek, cool ones, and then mm-hmm. the werewolves are seen as the, like, brute force monsters, and... I think there's there's a lot of cool storytelling to be had there with the werewolf. I'm hoping as these new universal monster properties start to come out, they will revisit the Wolfman and they will try to do something a little more serious with him. I do want to go back and watch the the remake of the Wolfman again. Um, I'm going to make a point to go watch it just for at least yeah. for the first time. And you know, I I just think the werewolf could be something really cool if it's treated like it's something cool instead of treated like it's not something cool. Absolutely. And and that's, and that's kind of where I'm at too. I I think there's a lot to be, there's still a lot of potential there. It just needs to be handled with someone who, who has respect for the the creature. Right. Right. W W for werewolves. Thanks for stopping by and hanging out with us. Danger. You got any parting words? Go watch a werewolf movie. (laughs) Yeah, go go watch Rover movie. Go watch Turning Red, and don't take it so serious. <laughs> yeah, I would say uh, the same thing. If you're looking for an absolute classic, you can you can check out The Wolfman with Lon Chaney Jr. from the 40s. If you're looking for something a little more modern, 2000s Ginger Snaps is really good. I need to go uh, watch Ginger Snaps. I I know I saw it pop up different places. All I just never yeah. got a chance, but I'm going to. 
Yeah, and and there's a and there's a lot of other ones out there. Uh, one I didn't mention uh, earlier was Wolf, starring Jack Nicholson. Um, yeah, not perfect, but it it has its moments as well. But yeah, definitely, definitely give give the give the werewolf a second chance. Yeah, yeah. So, all right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. Good night, everybody. <laughs>